testing. Hello, everyone. I wrote this song for those that feel like they're still in the desert waiting on a promise, so I hope it ministers to you. Be silent and be still, oh my soul. Don't let yourself overthink it or lose control. He is the one who holds your days, and He has promised to make a way in the desert for you. In the desert oh, 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 oh. Why let yourself be so troubled by all of the noise? Keep you hiding away when God is with you. Choose to trust the one who holds your days, for he has promised to make a way in the desert for you. In the desert, oh, choose to trust the one who holds your for he has promised to make a way in the desert for you in the desert oh, 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 oh. and now I can see what has happened to me from the desert to a promise you were always faithful and now i know i am never alone as you're making streams in the wasteland your goodness follows me I will trust the one who holds my days Cause he has promised to make a way in the desert For me in the desert I will trust the one, I will trust the one Who holds my days, he keeps his promise He makes a way in the desert In the desert Be silent and be still, oh my soul Don't let yourself overthink it or lose control My prayer for us today is that we come to the realization in greater measure that God is with us. 
that he's for you and not against you. That whatever desert you might be going through in your life, that he makes streams in the wasteland. He makes a way in the desert. You are good, good. to believe you are good good oh you are good good would you stand with me and let's sing that together you are good good oh you are good you're good always Never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. For you are, you are good, good. Oh. time and sing you are good you're good Are you sure? You seem a little tired today. <laughs> when we got here this morning, I noticed so many people were like had sleepy eyes and they were kind of moving a bit slower. So I'm just like, for the, so I make a promise to you, we're going we're gonna to just spend the next 45 minutes just chilling and watching a movie. Does that sound good? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. I'm excited to share. Yeah, sorry. I'm, you know, all disappointed. I hear the, oh man, that was, sounds great. Well, if you had a long week, if you had a long uh, morning so far, um, I'm glad you made it. I'm glad you're here. I'm excited to see you. I'm excited to be bringing the word today because I feel like for some of you, this is going to be a now word. For some, it'll be a later word, but for most, it'll be an encouraging word. And putting this sermon together, I mean, I got 10 pages, so day one. Just God was downloading uh, in me this week, and I, uh, I just had some fun doing it. So um, I believe the scripture says in uh, Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our mind. So that's going to happen to you today. One of my favorite scriptures in Isaiah 55 Verse 10 through 11 says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish, April showers bring what? May? That's right. That's what's going to happen today in your hearts. Say, so is my word. 
So is my word. Say, so is my word. That goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent. Amen? God's word is so good. Let's pray. Jesus, we welcome you here today. We welcome you in this house. Lord, speak beyond me without words into, your, into hearts today. May they feel your presence. Holy Spirit, flow in this place. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Do you ever feel like God is at a distance and is not really interested or involved in the details of your life? Ever felt like that before? Kind of like he's just slung the universe into existence and then like, all right, I'm going to set up all these natural laws and let them run its course in your life. I'm not going to get involved. Ever feel like that before? There are millions of people, you know, like us that maybe have struggled with the idea that God is distant, that he doesn't really know them. And it's like he has better things to do. Maybe you feel like this distance is created uh, from maybe sins in your life or some bad things that have happened or bad things that you've done. And that's created the distance between you and, and God. And the thought of the all-knowing God kind of gives you this fear of being known, right? You're kind of like, I don't want to have him see all this kind of stuff. I can't go to church because then I'm going to be flashlight on my flaws, right? I don't want that. But that's not who God is, right? The fear of being known. I, I, have, I have struggled with what's called the imposter syndrome. Anyone know what I'm talking about, the imposter syndrome? The definition of the imposter syndrome, a simple one, is the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of one's own efforts or skills. So to put it simply, imposter syndrome is the experience of feeling like a phony, you feel as though at any moment you're going to be found out as a fraud, right? Like you don't belong where you are, and you're only there by some sort of dumb luck. It can affect anyone, no matter what social status, work background, skill level, or degree of expertise. So I, I have sort of battled with that sort of identity crisis where I didn't earn the position that I'm in. I kind of got it given to me by some miracle, and I'm in a spot to where this fear of failure could kind of you know, cripple me. Anyone identify with that sort of feeling? Yeah. But what does God have to say about feeling like that? What does God have to say about knowing us? The Bible teaches us that God knows us personally and intimately. And in part two of our series, The God Who Knows Our Name, uh, we're going to look at a few things that how God personally knows us. And because of that, we don't need to fear coming to him as we are right now. So are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go. You guys still with me? You're going to hang with me? We're going to wake ourselves up. We're getting into the word. Here we go. So turn with me to Psalms 139, verse 1 through 4 in the NIV. And then we're going to jump over to verses 13 through 16. I'm going to share a lot of scripture today because I believe that it speaks a lot better than me. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. 
And now down to verses 13 through 16. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So our first point that I wanted to to bring up here is that God knows and understands your humanity. See, God created you in his own image. Therefore, he knows everything about you, right? He became flesh and blood himself so that he could identify with yours and my humanity, Speaking of uh, identifying with somebody, it's difficult to have a sustained, deep relationship, maybe one with compassion or under, understanding, when you just can't really identify with, with somebody or relate to them. Do you all know what I'm talking about? So a, a hypothetical example would be, picture you're, you're out with a friend or you're out with your spouse or, or somebody, you're at a dinner, and you've, your, your spouse is best friends with the person across the table. They're hitting it off. They're, they're reminiscing. They're having a good old time. And then you're stuck with the other person in front of you trying to figure out and relate to them. If you guys tracking with me so far? And, you're, you know, you're nice. It's cordial. You're being cordial on behalf of your spouse or significant other. But you're attempting to try to find some common ground. And it's not working. I've been in this situation before many times. And it's the typical questions that you would ask them like, so, so what do you do for work? Uh, what do you do outside of work for fun? Uh, how's the weather over there on your side of the table? <laughs> Gosh, I can't believe I said that. It feels like speed dating, you know, when you're kind of going from table to table and be like, okay, let me just check off the boxes of, you know, of acquaintances and stuff like that. But you can't really find anything in common with this person. And you're both just sitting there like, man, I can't wait till this night's over. The chances are that you're, you're not going to really let your guard down um, and, you know, to that person when you can't find anything to identify with. You can't force authenticity, and you can't force being genuine. But let, me hear, let me just tell you some truth here. God let his guard down for you in the most authentic and genuine way by sending Jesus to become like us so that, we can, so that he can identify with us and reconcile us back to him. Can I hear an amen? amen? Thank you, Jesus. He did it not only because he loves us, but because he understands that we needed it. Right? Romans 5, verse 6 through 8 says, You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still far from him, distant from him, undeserving, unworthy, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What's that next scripture? For he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to 
save it. Max Lucado has a book, Jesus, the God Who Knows My Name. I'm going to share a quote from there. He loves, Jesus loves to be with the ones he loves. So much so that the one who made everything made himself nothing, according to Philippians 2.7. Christ made himself small. He made himself dependent on lungs, on larynx and legs. He experienced hunger and thirst. He went through the normal stages of human development. He was taught to walk, stand, wash his face, dress himself. His muscles grew stronger. His hair grew longer. His voice cracked when he went through puberty. He was genuinely human. He took the very nature of a servant and became like us so that he could serve us. He entered the world not to demand allegiance, but display his affection. He knew you would be sleepy, like some of y'all in here. Culture coffee is open downstairs, by the way, if you need it. (laughs) Grief-stricken, hungry. He knew you'd face pain. If not pain of the body, then pain of the soul. Pain too sharp for any drug. He knew you'd face thirst. If not the thirst for water, at least the thirst for truth. And the truth we glean from the image of a thirsty Christ is that he understands. And because he understands, say he understands. He understands. understands. We can go to him. For we have access to the Father by the same Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within each of you if you received him. And we have access to him that way. Do do you remember what Jesus said on the uh, Feast of Tabernacles? I think it was the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, On the greatest day, he stood up, and with a loud voice, he said, Let anyone who is thirsty, this is John 7, 37, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. He said the same thing to the woman at the well. We're going to jump down, I think, think to verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, the one of the well, will get thirsty again. Maybe it's the well of the world, right? The well that never satisfies, really. Whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give him will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That river, that spring, that well of water that's in us is the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to flow like a river in here today. In the homes of those listening and and watching, Lord, you go beyond what is being spoken and you reach the heart without words Thank you for knowing and identifying with our humanity, Lord. Amen. And our second point, God knows your weaknesses. He knows your weaknesses. And He loves you anyway. God knows your weaknesses and He loves you anyway. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16 in the New Living Translation says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered into heaven... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest who understands our weaknesses, say, understands 
our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it most. This reminds me of, uh, we could even make this point that says, God knows your weaknesses and chooses you anyway. Right? He did, this, he did it with Gideon. Gideon was hiding from the Midianites back in Judges 6, and he was threshing wheat inside of a wine press, hiding the wheat so that the, you know, the bandits wouldn't come in and steal it. And, you know, the angel of the Lord just showed up while he's threshing wheat and goes, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Can you imagine just being there, just threshing wheat? Mighty warrior, what the heck are you talking about? Is it me? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So Gideon goes on to say, I, I, you can't choose me. I'm from the weakest tribe of Israel, and I'm the least in my family. Yet God saw him and chose him to set the Israelites free, right? So if you're feeling like you're not qualified, God sees your weakness, and he chooses you anyway, and he loves you anyway. Are you needy? Who, who, how many needy people we have in the congregation today? Yes, there we go. That's a lot of hands. It's honest. There we go. How many of you are well aware of your weaknesses? Uh, yeah. Right. And maybe, maybe you do your best to kind of keep them pushed down so nobody really sees it, right? Who the heck wants to display all their weaknesses? I'm horrible at this. Come over and hang out, you know? <laughs> Are you ashamed? Maybe you're in here, you struggle with shame for those weaknesses. You've got a bad habit, something you keep stumbling into, and you kind of feel ashamed over that. So much so that you'd rather not be open about it, especially to God. My goodness, right? I've got to come to church. I'll just, you know, put on my tie, sit here. I won't really plug in. Because if everyone saw who I, who I really am or the things I struggle with, because that's that's the thing I'm most aware of, and they're not going to accept me. They're going to reject me. Rick Warren, um, he has a quote here on his website at PastorRick.com. Years ago, there was a book called, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? Well, here's the answer. If I tell you what I'm really like and you don't like it, I'm up a creek without a paddle because I'm all I've got. And so we spend most of our lives wearing masks putting on the makeup, covering it up, pretending to be people we're not because we're afraid. If we let others see who we really are, they would reject us. And that's one of our deepest fears, is it not? Being rejected, being abandoned for it. When, when someone points the finger on our flaws and is like, eh, there's this. I think we do that to ourselves more than anything. But because God is always good and never bad, God will never reject you even when you sin against Him and, and disobey Him and hurt him. You can come back. You can repent. He will receive you, not reject you when you humbly confess to him. The Bible says, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. My enemies are waiting for me, yet I'm confident I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. You may have messed up huge in your life, and you feel like, you know, this is going to follow me, and God, you know, he's not going to give me his best because of this part of me, but I'm here to tell you that God is a gracious father. 
God is here to meet with you. He wants you to meet with Him, all of you, every aspect of you, your strengths and your weaknesses, your flaws, failures, successes, everything. So bring it before God today. As, as I continue to just speak and share, picture in your mind the Lord taking your heart and just kind of massaging it and just speaking love tenderly to you, right? Because of our flesh and human weaknesses, we're prone to fall into sin and fail God. But here's the good news. It says in Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5, that because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved, not from your religious efforts. You can't work off your sin. You can't earn this salvation that is a free gift. You couldn't. That's why John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right? Even when we were dead in transgressions and sins, Ephesians, he made us alive with Christ because of what he did. Can I hear an amen? amen? Another point on why we shouldn't be afraid of our weaknesses, look at Paul. In, uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, this guy, um, I, love, I love the beginning of this chapter because he talks about himself in the third person. He's like, who has two thumbs and went up to the third heavens? This guy. He's like, I was caught up in the third heavens and saw eternally amazing things and heard things spoken that no man on earth should utter. Verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I've pleaded with God to remove it, that this thorn would leave. Lord, I don't like it. It's making me seem weak. I'm struggling with this thorn in my flesh. What does God say? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Imagine hearing that for yourself. My grace is sufficient for you. Don't worry about that thing you've been praying that I take away. You know, don't worry about that thing. My grace is sufficient. Not, that's not like I can't get rid of this sin, so I'll just keep doing it because my, his grace is sufficient. That's not what it's saying. Paul's thorn could be like an injury or something like that or something that's ail. He's using it as, a, as a, an avenue to, to God's power, His grace, right? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for the sake of Christ, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, say this, then I'm strong. Then I'm strong. That's right. So you know what this communicates to me is that God is not impressed with my self-sufficiency. He isn't impressed by my self-sufficiency. He's impressed by my faith and dependency on His grace. Right? I cannot tell you how much time and effort I've wasted disqualifying myself. I had to write this down because it was a thought and something that I've struggled with for so many years, and you possibly identify with this thought process too. 
I've wasted so much time and effort I've wa- uh, disqualifying myself from God's calling and blessings because I felt my weaknesses made me undeserving and unworthy and created distance between God and myself because of them. That's the debilitating thought process of religion, which derails so many people from living in the freedom that God has made available in Christ. This religious lens that which we view our relationship with God, I thought was actually serving to make me stronger and better. I'm going to self-discipline myself to be this, you know, holier-than-thou person. Remember a few months ago that I preached on self-righteousness? Y'all were here for that. Most of you. What was actually enslaving me to perpetual unworthiness. I could never measure up to God's glorious standard, as Romans 3 says. Could never measure up to that. You can't either. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was near perfect. I mean, he talks about it in his epistles. He's like, as far as zeal, a Pharisee and persecutor of the church. I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. Back then, that's a big deal. He was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Perfect on his resume. Still not good enough. God had to knock him off his high horse, literally. That religion will keep you in perpetual unworthiness. But God doesn't demand perfection from you. Jesus took care of that. He expects that you trust in him, rely on his grace, and live in obedience. Romans 12, 2 um, It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Obedience. Doing what it says, right? Doing what the word says. So to cap this point, we as Christians, we put on Christ. His perfection has been bestowed to us. Our sins forgiven, our life renewed by his grace. Our weaknesses can be used as an avenue for the power of God. It's an opportunity to plug into power when you are open about your weaknesses before the Lord. Amen? Say his grace is sufficient. Amen. The third point is God knows your gifts. And he wants you to use them. God knows your gifts and he wants you to use them. Romans 12, 6 through 8 in the New Living Translation says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith God has given you, Mark. Right? If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness, do it gladly. So for a long time, I've thought that my gifts were just, you know, leading worship, music, it comes naturally to me. I've been doing it for a very long time. And so I thought, okay, I'm just, that's it. But I think that that is, that's just part of it. That's part of what God has gifted me with. And, and we're all, we all kind of have natural talent. We all kind of have things that we, that we use for that. But I'm discovering that those are just spiritual, uh, not spiritual gifts in and of themselves, but rather through which my gift flows. So I have 
I believe that I have the gift of joy. I believe that I have leadership and that I like to encourage people. So I look for opportunities to, to be encouraging no matter where I'm going. Uh, I look for opportunities to make people laugh because through that I feel like that, that breaks down walls and for people to sense God's presence and, and, and they're open, right? You know, when, when you laugh a lot, your, your guard's down a little bit, right? I just, I just love that gift, the gift of joy. So in my previous job, I've witnessed this happen when guys would come into my office and they would, and they would be super stressed out. They would, they, you know, life's not going so well. They'd come into my office and I'd make them crack up laughing. And, and, and then they would tell me their life. And I'd have the opportunity to encourage them and pray for them. And then, and then I would let them know, yeah, I'm also, I'm not just a, a service manager for a pest control company. I'm a, I'm a pastor as well. And they're like, oh, oh. And so every conversation after that's like, oh, mm. <laughs> No, it, it just was awesome because they could see that I was a real person. And, and, and God flows through you in a real way. Um, so I just want to encourage you if, you, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, we have the 301 class uh, here. Discover that. You know, unpack that. Because God has given a gift to each and every single one of you. And he wants you to use it and flow in it. You may already be flowing in it and not realizing it, right? But we need you to do that. Your spiritual gifts were not given for your own benefit, for the ben- but for the benefit of others, just as other people were given gifts for your benefit. That's by Rick Warren. When you find your spiritual gift, God will give you opportunities to use it. As I've just said, that's John Maxwell. <laughs> Boom, John Maxwell. Spiritual gifts, to put it as simply as I know how, are the more or less concrete and tangible ways in which the Holy Spirit manifests His presence in and through the individual members of the church. Sam Storms. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 through 11. This is a long one. Hang in there. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. To one person, the ability to give wise advice. To another, special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith. I'm going to paraphrase here so we can bring it to a close. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, one the ability to prophesy, another to discerning whether messages from the Spirit of God or another. Still another is given the ability to speak unknown languages, that's tongues, with another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes these gifts. He alone decides which gifts uh, each person should have. And our last point here is God knows your name and your divine destiny. He knows your name and your divine destiny. Like Pastor Mark uh, taught last week, your name is tied to your identity and purpose, right? There's so many people throughout the Bible that God changed their name. He did it with with Simon to Peter. I particularly like... um, the one about Jacob to Israel. And he, he does it, he changes your name to give you a new 
purpose. Come out of one season and into another. Close one chapter of your life and open up another, right? So just like a parent would name their child, it bestows identity. God did the same with the men and women of the Bible, and he's doing the same for you. He's doing the same for the Gathering Place Church. Um, at the turn of, you know, coming out of COVID, and as we were coming, as Daryl and I were coming on to full-time staff, um, I felt that in a spiritual sense, God was changing our name from Jacob to Israel. And what I mean by that is back in the Bible, Jacob, his name means wrestles with God, right? You may be feeling like you're wrestling with God for healing. You may be feeling like you're wrestling with God for a sense of direction and purpose or breakthrough in your life. You're just, you're travailing. You're constantly wrestling God throughout the night for things to happen in your life, right? But then he wrestled with God in, in, in Genesis, and I will not let you go until you bless me. And then he changed his name to Israel, which doesn't mean wrestles with God, but it's the one who prevails with God. So hear me now. I want to speak that name over you because I feel like God's doing it in our church body. He, he may be doing it already in so many of your, y'all's lives. He's changing your name because he wants you to come out of the old season, come out of the desert and into the promise, as I just saying before. to no longer be ones that wrestle for the blessings that we've already been given, right? Wrestling for the breakthrough that God's already provided for you and come into a place of prevailing with God. I believe that we are moving into a position of favor and prevailing with God over the enemy. So with that, why don't we go ahead and pray? As we're coming to a close here, um, I want to invite the worship team back up here. We're going to end in worship. Then after that, I want to open up the front here so that we can receive that new name and have it sink down deep into our hearts and to really grab a hold of, of, of what God is doing in us and through us that He uses our weaknesses His grace is sufficient for you because His power is made perfect through weakness, all right? He knows your name and your divine destiny. He has a specific plan and purpose for each and every one of you in your families, in your workplace, in this church, in your small groups. Wherever you go, you have a divine purpose to carry the kingdom. You have a divine calling to bring the light because you are children of light, amen? I want us to, as we worship, just just come to God in, in surrender. Whatever might be holding you back, Scripture says to throw off the sin and that the sin so easily entangles us. Throw it off. Today is a new day. His mercy is new for you. He wants you to discover His love for you in such a tangible and real way. Amen? So why don't we stand? And I'm just going to pray a blessing on you. And if, uh, if the prophets of the house would have any words that they feel like God is sharing or wants to drive home a little bit more, come on up and share.
But we'll go ahead and continue to worship, and I believe God's going to do some, some heart work today. says on the last and greatest day of the feast Jesus stood and said with a loud voice if anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink whoever believes in me as the scriptures has said streams of living water will flow from within him by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him related to receive Holy Spirit come and flow like a river in us and through us today as we worship and come boldly to the throne. In Jesus' name. Oh, come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your soul. You got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Come on, my soul, let's sing it out. Oh, come, come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. You got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Sing it again. Oh, come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. You got a lion. 
up your song Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs Get up and praise the Lord And all the earth will shout your praise Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing good to you. Lift up a mighty shout of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, at this time, I just want to invite the prayer teams down front. And if you need any prayer, if you have any need, come boldly to the throne of grace. Receive what you need from the Father today. If you need healing in your body, healing from sickness, we have the faith for it. Let's come down and pray and, and receive that healing, receive that blessing from God. If you don't need prayer, you're welcome to hang out in the breezeway and, and, uh, and just get to know, mingle a little bit. We thank you so much for joining us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word that penetrates our hearts and it produces fruit in our lives. I just bless you guys and I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week for Mother's Day. All right, God bless. Come on down if you need prayer. <laughs>